On September 27, 1962, 60 years ago, Rachel Carson's Silent Spring was released to the public. It was both a rallying cry for an environmental movement that had not yet started and a polarizing narrative, a book that garnered enormous attention and sparked environmental action across many, many fronts. The book's story was a revelation, a radical message of human impact unlike anything the world had yet heard about. In the book, which reads like a parable, Carson tells the story of a natural world, our natural world, soon to be made irretrievably different by our indiscriminate use of synthetically manufactured pest control agents like dichlorodiphenyl trichloroethane, which we know as DDT. Her argument was direct and chilling. Once these chemicals enter the environment, they're there to stay, indiscriminately laying waste to not only insect pests, but pollinating insects, birds, reptiles, amphibians, fish, and ultimately, our own children. The stuff is insidious. Not only did it kill, it also made the shells of bird eggs thin and fragile, which meant that the precious cargo they protected wasn't protected at all. Countless embryos died when their shells shattered under the weight of the incubating parent or during egg laying. Some of our most iconic species, eagles, osprey, peregrine falcons, teetered on the brink of extinction. We have no idea how many species we actually lost. What made the book's message most stark was the revelation that scientists knew about the impact of these synthetic agents for a long time, yet didn't make the public aware of the dangers they harbored. Silent Spring brought the information into a single damning narrative and placed it before the public. And just like that, a revolution was born. As many of you know from previous episodes, one of my would-be mentors, and certainly one of my heroes, is the late anthropologist and essayist Lauren Isley, author of some of the most memorable books I've ever read. In one of them, he noted, a university is a place where people pay high prices for goods which they proceed to leave on the counter when they go out of the store. Is this what we do? Do we claim to learn the lessons from the wisdom of those who came before us and then upon graduation leave it behind? I hope not. What a waste. Rachel Carson didn't live to see the long-term impact that her advocacy, our silent spring, had on the world. In June 1963, a year after the release of her powerful and controversial book, she testified before a Senate subcommittee on pesticides. She was 56. She would be dead of breast cancer a year later. But even though she wasn't there to lead the charge, the spirit of her book was. And it continues to drive environmental change, especially here in Vermont. From activist, educator, and author Bill McKibben to so many others, Carson's spirit lives on. Her courageous work paved the way for others to step in behind her and continue the work she started. At the time, she was vilified for standing up for the natural world. She was called a communist, an agricultural propagandist in the employee of the Soviet Union, and worse. Yet, her influence was felt across the planet. In February 1970, six years after her death, Time magazine featured on its cover a stylized photograph of environmentalist Barry Commoner, who was strongly influenced by Rachel Carson. 
The issue was dedicated to what was being called the environmental crisis, and good that it was. In the late 1960s and early 70s, indiscriminate dumping of pollutants created crisis after crisis. Lake Erie was so polluted with industrial waste that it became, for all intents and purposes, biologically dead. One of the waterways pouring into Lake Erie was the Cuyahoga River, which was itself lined with heavy industry, the steel mills of the now infamous Rust Belt. Over the course of a decade, the river caught fire more than a dozen times. The river, not its banks or the structures around it, but the river itself. The air above Los Angeles and other large cities was so heavily laden during those times with noxious chemicals that on hot days, reactions took place in the atmosphere and the sky above the city became chemically photosensitive. Acting like a great photographic plate, people living in LA could look up in the sky and see an immense photograph of the city spread across the poisonous cloud bank that hid what should have been a blue sky. What possible choice was there then when none other than Richard Nixon, in his January State of the Union address, said this. The great question of the 70s is, shall we surrender to our surroundings, or shall we make our peace with nature, and begin to make reparations for the damage we have done to our air, to our land, and to our water. Six months later, Nixon announced the creation of the Environmental Protection Agency and shortly thereafter, the Clean Air Act. On this, the 60th anniversary of the publication of Silent Spring, we should take a lesson from Ms. Carson and all the other warriors on the front lines of the fight to preserve the sanctity of the natural world. Maybe it's time that we actually took what we've learned and applied it instead of leaving it on the counter when we leave the store because the truth is inconvenient. If the President of the United States and Congress in 1970, 52 years ago, could find it within themselves to muster the guts to take action on behalf of the environment, and the countless species with which we share this planet, don't you think we can do something similar? Have we become that gutless? I certainly hope not. Rachel Carson wrote, the more clearly we can focus our attention on the wonders and realities of the universe about us, the less taste we shall have for destruction. And Lauren Isley, he had this to say about our thoughtless assault on the natural wonders of this planet. If it should turn out that we have mishandled our own lives as several civilizations before us have done, it seems a pity that we should involve the violet and the tree frog in our own departure. He also wrote this, When man becomes greater than nature, nature, which created us, will respond. I submit to you that she's responding, and she's not happy. Hey, thanks for dropping by. I'm Steve Shepard, the host of the Natural Curiosity Project, where we're committed to the idea that curiosity leads to discovery, discovery leads to knowledge, knowledge leads to insight, and insight leads to understanding. 
In every episode, we explore some topic that piqued our curiosity enough to make us want to share it with you. I hope you enjoy the journey. And if you did, I'd appreciate it if you'd leave a comment over at iTunes or SoundCloud, wherever you listen to the podcast. Thank you very much. We'll see you in the next episode. Thank you.